Alright, what's up everyone? My name is Lee Mark. I'm an editor here at Hackernoon. Today we're going to be talking about the state of virtual reality in 2020. And we have some uh, cool guests coming on today. Uh, we have uh, two guys all the way from Tel Aviv, Israel. And they are with a VR video game developer called One Hamsa. Let's bring them on. Hey guys. So uh, thanks for joining me here today. If you don't mind, if you could please just briefly introduce yourselves and uh, your positions and the kind of work you do with our readers. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Asaf. I'm the student director for One Hamsa. Um, I'm responsible for the mostly the business aspect of, the, of things at the studio. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah. And I'm Dave, I'm the creative director for the studio, um, also responsible for most, most things art-related. Um, cool. So uh, I found one Hamsa quite uh, in an ortho unorthodox fashion. I actually found one of your uh, smaller releases on the side quest that isn't an official release on the uh, Oculus Store yet. So I have a few questions about uh, one Hamsa in general. Firstly, what does one Hamsa mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah. I, I'll, I'll go the easy route. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, so Hamsa uh, is a symbol you might have seen in the Middle Eastern cultures, uh, like the, the hand, the hand mm -hmm. of Fatima. It's a symbol of uh, basically uh, good omens or good fortune. Oh, good fortune. Yeah. Um, and uh, we hold that symbol quite dearly. It's, uh, it feels like home to us. Um, and um, I'm not sure how deep I want to get into the story, but basically okay. we call ourselves One Hamsa, which is kind of One Five when there were three of us. Ah. Um, and eventually it became five of us kind of separately. Uh, you know, these, as in one of these events where the stars suddenly align in a weird way and you're like, what? How, how did that happen? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we ended up being One Hamsa. We we're five partners and uh, that's, cool. that's the story. That actually uh, perfectly leads into my next question. So you're quite uh, a small team so far. You have one official release on the Oculus Quest store so far. How did your company uh, come into being? What's your uh, founding story? So uh, all of us know each other for a long time before yeah. we opened the company. Hmm. I met Asaf and another one of our partners in a game jam about 10 or 11 years ago. Another one of our, our, our partners is uh, has been a friend of mine since first grade. Yeah, we lived nice. together for a while. We worked together for like six years. So we know each other for a long time. And basically with Asaf and our other partner, Boof, who we, we met 10 years ago in a game jam, we just started, we decided right after the game jam, all right, we're friends and we need to make games together. We started doing <laughs> it on our own accord. Um, and so basically since then, we've been kind of doing our own stuff here and there. And suddenly we got like in 2015, two business opportunities nice. that allowed us to actually open a studio officially. Yeah. Uh, and Racket NX was what would end up being one of those uh, initial business opportunities. Nice. So uh, you haven't found that working with your friends has driven you apart. You haven't been pulling each other's hair out yet. It's all going okay. On the contrary. It's, nice. uh, it's fantastic. Uh, Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're like a multi-limbed creature. Right. <laughs> You're like one hand, right? It's each each finger of the hand. <laughs> yeah. And the middle finger. <laughs> so uh, when I talk to a lot of uh, VR devs and, you know, companies that are creating accessories for VR, one question that always comes to my mind is why you decided to go into VR, you know, because the video game industry is so huge. There's a lot of other genres and platforms that have much larger player bases. You can get many more sales. So what was the reasoning behind entering a very niche field? You know, it seems like you're putting yourself in a handicap right away versus uh, starting with like, you know, a regular game on the PC or a more traditional console. What was your uh, decision behind that? Yeah, it wasn't strictly decision uh, as much as it was like um, a consequence. Uh, as Dave said before, one of the, one of the business opportunities that, that presented themselves uh, uh, in 2015 was uh, a VR game. The, the other one actually was, was a traditional mobile game. Okay. Um, but as, as we developed uh, both projects uh, and uh, pushed them along, um, we uh, I don't know if to say discovered or realized that um, 
the, the VR one has much more potential, I think, mm. uh, the design aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it has, um, uh, yeah, more potential to be a success. Interesting. So, I, I would say that in that respect, it's actually, I, I see it as the opposite of a handicap. If I go really? into the pancake uh, gaming yeah. industry, as mm. it's called in the VR industry, flat yeah. screens, um, as a new studio uh, with no track record, I'm actually mm. in a handicap. I and see. in VR, especially when you're starting in 2016, you're in the same starting line as everyone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, uh, we have a team that's, uh, I think, very technically strong as well. And in uh, areas like this, where you're really dealing with a new technology and trying to see what you can do with it, mm-hmm. having uh, the technical expertise that uh, I'm very lucky to have a team that actually has, I think is a really strong suit that wouldn't be as leveraged in PC. Yeah. Yes, that's very interesting. Yeah, so it's a combination of both consequences and, uh, and, and, and then like uh, a realized business decision that, yeah, it, it just might be the, the right path for us. And one additional thing that we kind of uh, forgot because we've been in it so, for so long, but you know, all of us are sci-fi fans. We've been reading yeah. and imagining AR and virtual realities since we're kids. And the opportunity to kind of be a part of the forefront of content for these platforms has been very appealing to us. And cool. in hindsight, I can also say that just seeing this technology, being so close to this technology as it develops and seeing how like different companies start, start appearing and disappearing and each tech comes in and kind of either grows or dissipates and you know, all the content that's trying to be created for that tech, just watching that happen has been absolutely fascinating. Yeah, you know, yeah. experience, I think. Yeah. I, feel, I feel the same way, you know, when, when a lot of people ask me if VR is worth investing in right now, it's kind of a hard question because it's definitely in its infancy. But uh, the way that I describe it to people, it's kind of like, uh, I heard somebody else on a podcast say, it's kind of like being at Disneyland as Disneyland is being built. So you get to see, <laughs> you get to see from the ground up how, how that world evolves, right? So it's quite cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to be patient. And, uh, you know, uh, you have to have like a five-year roadmap. Wow. Um, not, not, not just, you know, look at the, at the, at the year ahead. Mm. Uh, try to imagine. And, and, and I think that the amount and, uh, and level of opportunities that we that we've been having up until now wouldn't have happened uh, for for Pancake. Sure. For sure. I see, sure. I see. Sure. So it's like being in Disneyland while it's being built, but you also get to build some of the rides. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Uh, so I want to go into one of your games first, and then we can go back to talking about the industry as a whole. Uh, Racket NX is the, the big game that you have on your advertised on your website. Uh, presumably it's the game where you've gotten the most sales. And, you know, one of the things we talked about over email, Dave, was many people say the biggest problem with the VR is how a lot of things feel like a tech demo. And some customers feel like, you know, they're expecting a full AAA 30-hour game and they get something that feels really basic. But an interesting thing is uh, Racket NX, in general, it's, uh, the, the concept of the game is quite basic, but you guys have done quite well in terms of gameplay mechanics, polishing it, and you've got, uh, done really well on the Oculus Store. Could you tell me a little bit about uh, porting it over to the Oculus Store and what that experience was like for you? Um, well, I don't think it, the, the porting process itself was super interesting. It just going over the scripts, going over a render doc and just seeing what costs what and trying to you know shape everything we possibly can off. Mm-hmm. We're very happy with the final result in terms of performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're on a steady 72 frames per second with a Snapdragon 835. Yeah. That's also performing slam at the same time from five <laughs> cameras. So uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and actually we just merged our PC and our Quest versions, mm-hmm. um, taking the Quest assets to the PC and the Quest quality, like visual fidelity is so close to the PC fidelity that we actually, I mean, obviously we told our PC players that this is happening, yeah. but we didn't hear any complaint about it whatsoever because the differences are so small. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, on the other hand, uh, Racket is a pretty simple, graphically simple game. Yeah. I mean, the shaders are quite complicated, but uh, 
in terms of geometry, in terms of lighting, these things that can really cost a lot. It's pretty simple. So yeah, that was that, that wasn't too difficult. Um, so um, the the reason I asked the question is because uh, a lot of developers on SideQuest or even bigger developers, they mentioned that it's quite hard to get on the Oculus Store, uh, especially the Quest Store. But for you guys, that wasn't that much of an issue? Um, yeah, well, <laughs> we were actually um, handpicked. We were curated by the, uh, by the Oculus team. Really? Um, nice. Yeah, yeah we, had, we had Rocket at the time. Um, was it on early access? No, I think it was already released on Steam. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and on Rift on, on the Oculus uh, Rift and uh, yeah. it, honestly it didn't sell that well for the Oculus uh, Rift mm -hmm. but but still um, they came to us um, mm -hmm. with an offer um, they gave us the dev kits and they told us that um, they're they're developing this new headset that they think Racket would uh, fit perfectly to mm -hmm. and, um, and yeah. they asked if we want one <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yeah. to which, to which I, I answered, no, we, want, we need two of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> two of those because it's a multiplayer game. I had my reasoning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah but, but I think also one of the first points you made um, was about uh, the game being simple but polished. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things that, like, there's a lot of interesting concepts going around on, on SideQuest and in general in VR, I see. Like if you follow any of the VR channels on Reddit, mm -hmm. usually the thing that get the most upvotes is like, uh, oh look, uh, I can make a gun that shoots alligators out of my finger. You know, <laughs> yeah. stuff that's just like okay. it just it's kind of a tech demo and it gets like three thousand upvotes and everyone is super enthusiastic about it, but yeah. it doesn't actually go anywhere. Yeah. Um, and um, it seems like there's a lot of interesting mechanics mm -hmm. uh, in VR, but there's very little polish and. Also, maybe more importantly, there's very little games. I exactly. mean, even the more successful downloads, very few of them are actual games, things that you can evolve in, things that have a long-term goal, things that have a complex uh, uh, arrangement of game loops that you can mm -hmm. engage in. Um, I think maybe um, not, not to bad badmouth it or anything like that. Yep. If you take... Uh, um, uh, sword and sorcery, do the uh, blade and sword. I forget the uh, sword and sorcery, I think, right? Blade and sorcery. Sorry, because yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. it, it's a um, it's basically um, let's call it a game. Uh, you know, you get it, it's more of a sandbox, right? You have yeah, like yeah. Lee weapons and these ragdoll uh, hmm. slash IK enemies, and you just kind of do stuff with it. Yeah, a very, a very successful sandbox. It's very successful, the mechanics are, are good. Yeah. They also really took uh, the melee mechanics forward in VR. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't help but look at these things and say, if there was only a game around this thing, I would really enjoy it for hours. And um, I mean, exactly. people do enjoy it for hours. For me, it's not that, that engaging. I need story, I need context. Mm -hmm. um, I need a certain level of polish to get immersed also in these things. Yes, yes, so, for um, sure. Yeah, so it feels yeah. to me like a lot of what we're still seeing in VR is, is kind of in that realm right now. Still. Yes, for sure. And uh, when I said uh, Racket NX has simple gameplay, uh, it's not as simple as people would think. Uh, for the viewers here that don't know, I would describe it as a tennis meets futuristic racquetball meets breakout. Well, would that be accurate? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think... Uh, the Oculus team did a great job in recommending it for Quest because the great thing about the Quest is the wireless nature, right? The ability to turn around in 360 and that's exactly what you need to do in this game. And uh, I feel like when, when the games that have, you know, big followings, kind of grand visions, those are the games that kind of perform less well graphically on the Quest. But these uh, games with simpler gameplay like yours, uh, I have to tell you, I just tried it two hours before this phone call, and it's definitely one of the crispest graphics I've ever seen on the Quest so far. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think uh, one of the things that we try to do consciously uh, is really fit the content to the platform, and that means right. in these respects, and this has been true for Racket Linux since day one, is kind of trying to recognize um, the strengths of the platform and the weaknesses. Mm -hmm. 
playing to the strengths and not ignoring the weaknesses, but rather, uh, you know, just accepting them. So in Rabbit, for example, there's no locomotion. Yes. Right? Because especially with the cable and stuff, that was a big problem. On the other hand, the physics are super, super tight because the tracking is so good on all of the VR devices that you can really get to a high fidelity there. And I think the same goes in terms of the visual graphics uh, for Quest. Uh, I mean, it's just... Um, for sure. It, it's yeah. easy to put this kind of graphic to this kind of platform. For sure, for sure. So uh, if you guys don't mind, I have a little uh, interactive activity for us planned. What I want to do is uh, share my screen and hop on the Oculus Quest store real quick and have you read some of these reviews live and uh, either refute them or uh, you know thank the viewer for rating you so high. But I'll, I'll, I'll make sure not to choose any incredibly spicy ones or ones with profanity. Is that cool with you guys? Okay, let's see. <laughs> Can you guys see my screen okay? Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, just for the, again, for the viewers that don't know, this is Racket NX on the Oculus Quest store. And amazingly, you guys have 1,083 ratings so far. So presumably your sales have been quite good as well. <laughs> so let's... Uh, Let's go ahead and let's, let's start nice. Let's start with the uh, five-star ones. And this one was quite recent, about a month ago. Uh, this person says, great surprise. They weren't expecting much from this game. And to be honest, when you see the trailer and when you see people uh, playing this game on YouTube, you don't expect much. It seems like some weird futuristic tennis game, but you really can't, as is the case with most VR, you can't really feel it until you're in there. You know, Even if the YouTuber has the best quality of re recording, you can't really tell how the game is until you're in the game. So yeah. looks like this one is a good review for you guys. For sure. But I think the whole, this point is, has been like uh, the game's main uh, yeah. point of contention since day one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with Racket and X, I think more so than other VR games, mm -hmm. we've had a very uh, problematic uh, top of the funnel as, uh, as, as they call it. Mm -hmm. um, once people get in, into the game, um, as you can see by the reviews, uh, the reviews are very high, mm -hmm. but it's a little difficult uh, to understand what the game is and how fun or, mm -hmm. or rewarding it is to play it. Um, we've tried improving it over time, but in the end of the, at the end of the day, there are premises that work better than others. Um, mm -hmm. For sure, for sure. Problematic on that respect. Okay, let's do one yeah. more nice one. Yeah. Sorry? Surprise! Uh, bring in many of the reviews. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I can't accept, uh, expect anything. But then I went in, and oh my god, it's it's my favorite game for VR right now. Yeah, so exactly. this would be a typical five-star review for us. Yeah. Then. Oh, <laughs> I, this is actually nice. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll mark that one as helpful then. <laughs> so again, this this is a similar one. This guy says he uh, bought this game on a win because uh, it is cheaper than the other sporty games on the quest. There's, there's quite a few expensive sporty game on the quest so far. He describes it as a gameplay reminiscent of a futuristic combination of squash and pinball and perhaps a bit of Quidditch. So uh, a little Harry Potter in there. Oh, is that the thing with the brooms? <laughs> yes, yes. That's the flying game in Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. He did have one thing here. Getting in your way is your decreasing health bar, which can be replenished by hitting blue health hexagons. Eventually, the health hexagons become few, uh, fewer and further between, meaning a game over will always be inevitable. So this brings up um, a gameplay aspect that I wanted to ask you about, because who thought of the idea of health bars? You know, a health bar in a sports game, it's almost unheard of. Is this sort of something where you guys started with a basic concept and then more and more team members just kept adding on gameplay ideas and you just rolled with it? Or how did that come along? So um, actually, I think this is a, a very interesting question. And I think it, um, it, it might also, the answer might be interesting for game designers, uh, mm -hmm. and VR enthusiasts in general, because we had a very interesting thing happen with that health bar. Um, initially, uh, way, way early in 2016, in the early access days of Racket NX, um, what we had is uh, this, um, the same concept in terms of a timer that kind of pushed you to do things and uh, uh, kind of had this thing closing, on, closing in on you, right? And the way we um, uh, communicated it was that the entire floor around you, right, had this 
uh, red circle that was slowly closing in, all right? So you had this red on the floor slowly closing in, and when it got to you, to your base, it was game over, okay. all right? Now, we thought that this would be a, a very um, high affordance way of communicating this, this element, right? You basically have a floor is lava kind of situation yeah. where more and more yeah. of the floor gets red. You see it in your peripheral vision, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, and you can just feel the pressure of like, shit, everything is red. Um, players, so sure. yeah, players didn't ca catch on. They didn't. They didn't realize that the floor was really changing. I see. So we pushed it further. We kind of um, we had it progress in ticks, right? We had a little timer on it, like ac actual numbers, like in four places around the arena on, on the edge of the terminal, you know, mm. on the terminal of the red circle. Um, we ended up even having um, this uh, thing where when you hit targets that were green at the time little pluses would come out of them, go into the floor, paint it green for a little bit, and push it back. Okay. And players still didn't catch on to it. Interesting. And at some point you're like, how is it possible that this idea that seems like such a perfect thing for VR, you're actually communicating a super important gameplay element through the actual geometry around you. How is it not catching? Yeah. Um, and the moment we put a bar instead of it, it just, the, Everyone understood it immediately. Mm -hmm. And so for us, I think it was a very important lesson about um, yeah. innovate where you want to innovate. Yeah. Um, in things that are supposed to be straightforward and are not like the crux of your game, just hand it over as simple as possible. Interesting. And also, um, there's always this uh, gap between how you understand what you're doing and what people who never saw it understand it. Yeah. And, um, and this was kind of a blatant example of it for us that was just yeah. like, all right, we really need to examine every assumption that we have yeah. Yeah. about yeah. affordance, about communication. Yeah, it was very sobering. Yeah. 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 And uh, maybe that will change down the line. I don't know. Maybe with uh, 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 headsets uh, providing uh, a better uh, field of view where, yeah. where you can... It's not just that. I think also um, there's a certain amount of new information that you can yeah. process yeah. at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when you are in VR in early days playing a game you've never played before with rules that you're just figuring out and a mechanic yeah. that uses your body and there's there's a lot of mental load. And when you're trying to Absolutely. to continue adding like mecha mechanics that the floor idea could have worked really well if every other element in the game was already well known yeah. to the player. But there's a yes. limit to how much change and how much innovation you can ask a person to, yes. to accommodate. Yeah. Yes, I, I feel yeah. like it's a, it's a bit of a problem where you're, you're innovating kind of ahead of the market, you know? Because uh, putting on the health bar is pretty much taking an aspect from the pancake games that you mentioned, right? Sure. It's what people sure. are used to. And I think um, the interesting thing there, for the Oculus Quest especially, you're hitting a lot of gamers that aren't really into gaming in general. You know, there's a lot of people who are first time VR users and that's the only experience with the games they've ever had. So I feel mm -hmm. like uh, with me or with uh, people who are hardcore onto side quests, we probably would have understood that gameplay tactic. But when you're catering to a larger audience, I guess you have to make sacrifices, right? Or make changes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but it's also yeah. just a matter of good practice. Mm -hmm. um, Focus your innovation in the places that matter to you because if you innovate in too many places, you take the attention away from the places that matter to you. That's Very just like in terms of game design, I think that's an important kind of principle. Nice. So let's get into the interesting reviews now. <laughs> let's go straight into the uh, one stars. Um, all right. So I, I confess I've read this beforehand. It's not too bad. I chose it for a reason. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Card Taker 1984 this says, "This should uh, actually he updated this to five stars. To five stars. Oh, did he? Uh, he's one of our top players, actually. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Us for a while because we weren't updating the game uh, in a uh, high enough visible rate to his satisfaction. Yeah. Um, I see. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, he's he's a, he's an active member on our Discord server, and uh, yeah." <laughs> Because yeah, that's yeah. That, that's the reason I chose this because it's one star, but his review is not that bad. <laughs> like yeah. uh, his review talks about how it became more enjoyable with the multiplayer mode. So that was my main yeah. question. 
<laughs> no, I, I, I mean, just, just to point out, like this review and this one star here actually comes out of love for the game. Nice. Because he, seriously, he has, I don't know, hundreds of hours probably or no, more. More. And, um, and he was just being frustrated that mm. it felt to him like a game that he really loved wasn't getting enough attention from its developers. Fair yeah. enough, and, fair enough. And then we presented uh, our brand new roadmap for the game for, for the next year. Um, so he decided to update his... Uh, his Beautiful. Device. Well, uh, hopefully uh, Oculus updates this soon. Okay. <laughs> 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 right. Let's go on to the next one. This is from local ghost 001. You get, you guys gave a response. I'll just hide your response first. So this guy says it has poor physics for a game based on reactionary physics. It's a struggle to do anything in a realistic fashion, unless you smash every ball, expect frustration. So I was really quite puzzled with a review like this because, uh, a it's a video game, but B, um, if you did realistic physics, the, the ball would probably go like 10 to 20 feet ahead of the player every time and not do anything interesting. So yeah. uh, what's your response to this, to this uh, review? I don't, I don't want to say something that ends up being very different from what we actually wrote him in response. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, man, I mean, obviously uh, it's a valid opinion. Um, I would wager that he hasn't given it enough time or that he tried it in an off moment. Uh, because on the one hand, it's true that the physics are not realistic. On the other hand, they are very consistent and very predictable. Uh, so I think 10, 20, 30 minutes into the game, everyone starts getting a hang of it. We've seen dozens of people uh, try it, uh, yeah. including our parents. So nice. yeah. Our, our goal from the very beginning was to create games um, for VR that, that that simply couldn't be experienced out of this medium. Yes. I mean, we simply didn't want to, to try to imitate real world, world uh, physics. Mm -hmm. We wanted to create something new, to imagine how it would be if we would have a virtual world. Yes. <laughs> I see. I but what see. did we answer? I'm curious. You want to see? It was very, it was very uh, friendly because, of course, you know, got to keep Basically. up public opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was good. Yeah. Uh, what, one thing I didn't understand about his uh, issue was the game struggles with having two controllers in the same space. Why would anyone ever want to use two controllers at the same time if they wanted to switch hands? Is that the thinking there? Yes, uh, some of our top players actually used yeah. to play that way. Yeah. Ah, I see, I see. Cool. Yeah. They're, they're switching hand uh, almost every other shot. Really? Yeah. Like, yeah, I get... I, so much. If you, there was a period of like a year. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, uh, or yeah. Players, yeah. I guess I'm still a noob at the game, so I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, uh, that was very interesting about Racket and X. Uh, before we run out of time, I want to talk about how I found you guys, actually, which is not through Racket and X. I found you through a uh, beta release, I guess, on the side quest called Ghosts in the Machine. Uh, before I talk about it, could you uh, tell our viewers here a little bit about what that is and just introduce the concept? Uh, yeah, Ghost in the Machine is a very short uh, kind of experiment we made in uh, what a uh, graphic novel could be, could look like in VR. Mm -hmm. um, the actual intention for it was to create a medium for us to um, convey content in terms of like story and world building, et cetera, for a game we were working on at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so it was kind of like, um, the idea was that the whole game would be in 3D and full-fledged graphics, but in order to push the story and narrative that we really wanted to push, and you know, we wanted, we talked about this a little bit in the yeah. emails, we really wanted more content. Um, for a small studio like us, we needed to find a more efficient solution than you know, AAA content. Mm -hmm. um, so we were, uh, we had this idea and uh, we tried it out very, very uh, uh, preliminarily and then, and then we decided to try for something a little more complicated. We make, made Ghost in the Machine. Yeah, cool. and they, they simply uh, just closed themselves uh, within this specific room for two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and, just, and just made it. Cool, cool. Yeah. So what the experience is on side quests, I would describe it as a, a visual novel or a graphic novel in VR. But is it the case where this is just uh, a concept for the storytelling mechanic in a larger game that you're building? 
So um, are you by any chance on our newsletter? Yes, yes, that, that's where I read that, yeah. Uh, all right, yeah, so, so um, Ghost in the Machine was exactly uh, that. I mean, um, <clears throat> it was made in the context of a specific game, uh, <clears throat> a game world that we were already building, we're actually halfway through. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't exactly know the story by then and a lot of the uh, concepts in Ghost in the Machine were actually invented during the creation of Ghost in the Machine. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. And, um, and there was actually a very uh, long evolution of this medium afterwards. I see. Uh, at some point, uh, as we described in the newsletter and anyone who's interested in, in whatever we, we're talking about here is really invited to go to uh, onehamsa.com and, and register to our newsletter. Sorry for the- uh, No worries. The... I can bring it um, up here. <laughs> thank you. Um, but um, uh, as, as things evolved, we actually ended up um, deciding to make a game based solely on that medium with the same story, same world that we uh, developed by then. And the idea was to have this kind of adventure comic game where it's kind of a little bit like a choose your own adventure within this medium of Ghost in the Machine. Sure. Again, I want to tell people that what you're seeing on on screen, you know, is just uh, still images with a moving camera. But in VR, a a virtual visual novel is quite an interesting thing. And, you know, this last maybe two to three minutes, probably this, this, uh, this uh, short gameplay of it. And that was enough to make me contact you guys. So that's how interesting this thing is. Um, now that the viewers have context of what this is and how cool it is, what's the direction you're taking for it now? So you said you're going to build an entire game in this kind of graphic novel fashion. Were. Were. <laughs> I see, I see. Um... <laughs> Yeah, uh, could, could you full screen? We can't quite see you. Uh, that oh, way. one second. Let me stop sharing here. Here we go. Ah, there we go. Yeah, so uh, it's a long story. I won't go into all okay. of it. Um, but essentially, at some point about a year plus ago, um, we decided that we try making a full-fledged kind of uh, adventure game in this medium. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, you can imagine what you just saw, only... It has like a a long and branching narrative where you can take different decisions at different points and it kind of takes, um, it evolves in the way that you push it. There are people you can talk to, there's things you can pick up and put there, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the game world uh, was developing quite nicely. Uh, It was in a pretty like uh, full and interesting place. We put together an amazing team. We teamed up with uh, Canadian science fiction author, Peter Watts, who was one of our favorite authors and people. Um, And uh, he was doing the writing and uh, we had uh, Ben Lucas Boyson, uh, also known as Heck, who is a brilliant electronic musician uh, who was doing the music. And we had uh, Mickey Montlo, uh, who is a world renowned like comic illustrator doing the art. And um, everything was set and we were kind of working on that, uh, I guess, since uh, September last year, about a year ago. Um, and for various reasons that I discussed in the, uh, in the newsletter and we'll continue discussing actually in the next newsletter more in depth, um, it didn't work out. Uh, we ended up having to cancel the game after about I see. six months of pre-production of, of hard work. Um, it was quite painful yeah. and quite uh, humbling and quite teaching. Mm. Um, and the silver lining besides all the things that we learned, which are always like so important in game design, um, is that uh, we've established so much of how this thing would work mm-hmm. that we've resolved to absolutely still use it in its original purpose, which is Beautiful. on the game we're working on now, still have this medium excuse me, convey all the cutscenes and all the extra kind of content. And um, yeah, I won't go into too much detail there. It's all secret. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, so we're definitely still be going to be using this meeting. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It, is, it is still coming. Cool. Yeah, one of the reasons we put it on, uh, on SideQuest, though, is that um, I think it's not a very complicated concept and it's not very complicated to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically the age-old idea of 2.5D. 
yeah, which is you have like 2D images on 3D planes that we had like for, you know, motion graphics and stuff like that, just in VR. Yeah. And so we wanted to put it out there also uh, so that maybe someone who might actually do something with that idea picks yeah. up on it. Cool. Uh, there's still a lot of potential even to do just a simple comic in that medium. Yes. Um, yes. And I would love to see that, but for, we're a gaming studio and yeah. the game aspects didn't work for us so much. So. I see, I see. So um, most of Hacker Noon's reader base are actually software developers, uh, some even indie game developers like yourselves. From that process, you know, where you had to let go of that game you guys have been working on for so long, is there any um, key points that you learned that could save some of our readers' headaches in the future? Anything that you want to pass on to them? <laughs> um, yeah, so there, there are several uh, lessons that I would say are quite specific and maybe not that uh, transferable. But okay. Uh, perhaps the most uh, relevant point here uh, is... Um, look for ground truth as soon as possible and as frequently as possible. Uh, one of the biggest problems we had here is that we had a good idea, mm -hmm. we had a good proof of concept, but the next time we actually touched base with an actual playable um, build was too long later. And some assumptions that ended up not being correct were revealed too late in the process. I see. And so this is a lesson that for us, I know so for some people it's, it's kind of built in, but for us, we're idea guys. We, we find ourselves very much in headspace. And if you go too far in headspace without having a, a reality check, especially in game design, mm -hmm. then uh, you're doomed to, to yeah. discover that you're wrong. I see. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So the, it's actually, there, there is a concept called fail faster uh, mm -hmm. in game design. And that's exactly it. I see, I see. Uh, try, prototype, uh, be with the finger, uh, your finger on the pulse all the time. I see. So uh, just to clear things up, the game you're currently working on, is it still called Challenger? Or is it a different, or is it is it secret? Uh, the, the, the repo, the Git repo no, is still no, called? No, actually we moved it to, to GitLab. Oh, okay, okay. We <laughs> changed the name. Uh, okay, so, so a resounding no. Then. Okay, okay. <laughs> Okay. Uh, is there anything you can reveal to our viewers about so far? Like what, what the genre is, what, what the gameplay might be like, what the story might be like? All right. Um, I can say, be careful. Be be careful. careful. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that it takes place in a different part of the same world that Ghost of the Machine is in. Okay. Very different place in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so that means it's still kind of this uh, weird modern take on cyberpunk. Okay. Uh, I can say that it is an action game. It is about fighting and it is about um, violence. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's all I can say at this point. Uh, Interesting. We're really hoping that we can announce it in the coming couple of months, but that also depends yeah. on business relationship we end up forming around it. So I see. It's not, yeah. I see it. Any, any projected release date? Maybe 2021, uh, 2022, 2023? <laughs> all I can say right now is that we have been prototyping for what, like 18 months? 18 yeah. months. To wow. Reach, even, even more than that, um, to reach a point where we could say, all right, that there is something there and, and we can start building on that. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, I'm personally very, very happy with, with where things uh, are at right now. Um, but I would say nothing about cool, cool. <laughs> No worries, no worries. Well, quite early, but um, yeah, we hope to have uh, something uh, to show pretty soon. Beautiful. Well, our viewers can sign up for your newsletter then if they uh, want to get updates on that. <laughs> so let's. Let's, uh, let's move on now to VR in general, because uh, one thing that we talked about over email, Dave, was uh, we both agree that one of the biggest issues right now in the industry is the lack of narrative in the games. Uh, and the lack of narrative for me is what makes something feel like a game and less like a tech demo. Uh, before we get into that, in terms of narrative, gameplay, design, everything, what are the best experiences you two have had in VR so far? Mm. Doesn't have to be Quest. It can be any VR you've you've uh, played. Anything? 
I'm not sure I had a good narrative experience in VR. Like in a game that was... Maybe Half-Life Alex was... Okay, sure. Um, yeah. It still felt to me like it wasn't doing anything new. All right, so let's talk about Half-Life Alex sure. for, for this, for this uh, example. Yeah. Okay. Definitely the most traditional game narrative uh, mm -hmm. that we've seen in VR. Definitely the most of a story that we've seen in VR. Still, I would argue doing nothing uh, unique to VR in, term, in terms of story. Um, I, I would agree. Um, but th that isn't to, to sell it short or anything like that. Uh, I don't think that you necessarily have to do something that is unique to VR in terms of story. But I would say that's actually the only example that I've played I see. something that had a semblance of a story. Yeah, um, yeah that actually yeah. got me immersed in a you know, level that uh, yeah, I was in the game. When you say uh, a narrative unique to VR, do you mean that the narrative you see so far are narratives that would work on traditional console games? And you're, you're looking more for a narrative that can only be done in VR? Uh, no, no, on the contrary. Uh, I think that um, I haven't seen yet a narrative in a game that wouldn't work on, on PC. And mm -hmm. the only place that I actually have seen a narrative in VR that was, that was decent uh, and that had a some significance in the gameplay was with Half-Life Alex, And again, that was a pretty traditional kind of narrative. Yeah. Yes. Uh, both in terms of the narrative itself, but also in terms of how it was conveyed. Mm -hmm. I see, I see. Um, just to throw a few more titles out there, one, one of the big ones still for PC VR console PSVR is uh, Skyrim, Skyrim VR. What, what's your mm -hmm. take on these uh, huge ports of, you know, these big AAA games to VR? What do you think... How are those performing in terms of bringing narrative to the VR industry? The, the, they, are, they are exactly as, as you said it, they are ports. Mm. I mean, these are not like um, um, VR organic uh, experience. I see. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, what I'm missing is content that I can only get in VR, in VR yeah. and that only makes sense in VR that actually involves me emotionally. Mm, um, I, see, I, see. I mean, all of my senses are captured. I'm yours, do something interesting, you know? Yes, yes. Um, that's what I'm missing. Mm -hmm. um, interesting. And there's a lot of interesting mechanics out there and, and some good games as well, but just like, you know, take me somewhere yeah. interesting. Let's, let's dive, uh, I'm, I'm going off book here, but let's dive a bit into the mechanics. Um, there is, different things you can do with the player emotionally in VR that I think a lot of people don't know about, you know, like the sense of, uh, you know, objects that are flying past peripherals, you know, a sense of depth. And uh, there is a uh, one really interesting app on SideQuest called Liminal. Have you seen that yet? No, I'll open it now. Yeah, uh, L-I-M-I-N-A-L. Um, it's very interesting. It seems more like a psychology experiment rather than a game. So you can go in there um, yeah, yeah, so basically, they're just really weird, crazy experience you can go in that are supposed to evoke certain emotions like happiness, peace. You know, if you're having a rough day, you can go into this one, it'll make you feel calm. And I think I've definitely had a few of these experiences in VR, you know, just maybe by accident. Uh, mm -hmm. Are you guys looking into what, what kind of mechanics are you looking into in terms of, you know, VR mechanics that we can't do anywhere else. What, what are the things that are kind of at the front of the industry that not a lot of us know about yet? Um, so I, I think the, um, the forefront of the industry and perhaps it will remain the forefront, um, even though it is quite obvious, is the physical aspect. Mm -hmm. I feel that the physical aspect, first of all, is the most interesting and, and relevant not only because it keeps you fit and moving, but because it engages all of your senses, it engages all of your nervous system, um, it engages your spatial awareness, your coordination. It is so healthy for you to do things with your body. I mean, yes. uh, we do so little of that. Um, and, um, but, but, and also in terms of just, um, I mean, we're built to use this thing. We have so many intuitions in our body that are, aren't used in gaming, haven't yeah. been used until now. Um, so I think uh, this is the this is the main frontier and will probably remain the main frontier in VR for a while. Mm -hmm. And what we're interested in is pushing that. 
I see, um, I see. Some of the pillars that we've established for ourselves with the game that we're working on now is that it has to be visceral. You have to, like, the action has to be like something that your body does automatically. Mm, you know, something that cool. feels intuitive, but in the context of a gameplay, you can learn how to hone it and, you know, improve your skill level, etc. But it's something that your body wants to do. Yeah, I see, um, I see. And that's for us, like, the major, like, mechanical, you know, uh, I see. So you're pushing towards, you know, gameplay mechanics that are reactions rather than press A to jump sort of thing. You know, that's Absolutely. what you're doing. If you, can do, if you can do it with a button, do it with a button. One of the most frustrating things in VR is yeah. that there's something you can do with the binary button, but you have to move your hand for it. Mm. It never feels satisfying. It's like, exactly. why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. um, so it, so you, you're right. It's not just a matter of the mechanics. It's also what you do with it. I see. Um, and, if, and if I'm, for example, if I have a sword in my hand, right? And I cut down an enemy, and it doesn't matter if I hit like this or like this or like this or like that. Then I want a button. I see. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So, this is a bit of a more out there question, but if the true uh, goal of VR, the true end goal, is like you know a deep dive, Neuralink. I feel like I'm in there. My sense of touch is activated. My sense of smell is activated. If that is the true end goal, and let's say the starting line for this journey was you know the Nintendo Virtual Boy. Uh, in your in your perspective as a developer, how close are we towards that goal? Are we fifty percent there? Are we ten percent there? Not even close. What do you guys think? I think the goal changes faster than uh, than the technology does, um, and by the time we reach this goal, it will already have shifted into something else. Um, I think uh, a much more solid and foreseeable goal is actual persistent AR, where people actually have digital layers of information embedded and persistently embedded into the physical world. Yeah. From that, I would say we are still about 10 years away, I would guess, uh, wow. to have something like that that is widespread. Maybe seven, uh, maybe. Yeah, in terms of, uh, in terms of Neuralink mm -hmm. and in terms of just basically neurological intervention, read, write, if it's, uh, you know, We've been reading this stuff for a long time. Mm -hmm. I've had friends who were deep into neurobiology. It was one of my favorite topics for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, these things take a very long time. Yeah. The best we can do now is kind of stimulate whole bunches of, uh, of neurons to, to you know, fire in sync yeah. more or less and kind of read backward kind of uh, convoluted information to kind of infer what's happening in some regions of the brain. We're still quite far. I see. Yeah. Do you, do you yeah. think it'll happen in our lifetime or I shouldn't hold my breath? Uh, how long do you plan on living? Uh, <laughs> no, at least another 40, 50 years, I hope. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. we're going to have some cool stuff happening in our brains in yeah. 40 years for sure. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good. I, I'm counting on it, actually. So uh, that brings me to my next question in terms of uh, immersiveness in VR. Let me just grab something from my closet real quickly here. Props. Yeah. Uh, nice. What's your take, guys, on uh, haptic accessories in VR? So this is a really um, uh, bulky haptic vest from a company called Baptics. They're, they're a great company. Oh, their, their development is good. This is a really solid piece of equipment. But there's uh, a lot of mixed feelings about it. What do you guys think about haptics and their potential to greater create the immersion in VR that we're looking for. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a natural next step, no, no doubt about it, but, but uh, it, it's still so rare to, to find a player using it mm -hmm. uh, that, that it just, it, it, won't, it won't be uh, cost efficient to develop for it. Like, I, see, I, I actually see. disagree with that. Yeah, uh, yeah I think uh, one of the interesting things that happened with smartphones mm -hmm. is that um, our expectation of frictionless experiences and um, zero effort uh, um, engagement or zero effort onboarding mm -hmm. has really just, the bar has been raised in these respects. And even putting on a headset and clearing the room uh, can often feel like, you know, it takes you, 23 seconds mm -hmm. and it still feels like a step that you need a certain amount of you know of motivation to yeah. actually do yeah and with all of the um accessories that i've seen for vr 
it's just it's too much and uh, it, like putting on a vest in order to play people don't actually do it i hardly put on my headphones when i play overwatch yeah uh, and um and seriously and i, I think that there for arcades, stuff like that, where you're already engaged in the experience, that's one thing. But for home use, I, I honestly don't see it catching on. I see, I see. Yeah, to, to give Baptics credit, you know, it's quite decent. The what, when the game has native support for it in the Quest, it's really easy. You know, you put the quest, you put the thing on, you press one button, tap one setting, and and you're going. But I think the biggest issue for everyone there is developers like yourself need to have a certain return to actually program for it, right? And uh, yeah. Yeah, the equipment themselves cost sometimes more than the quest in general. So it's a uh, it's it's a long way before that gets mainstream. When I think. You, developer, you see them now that Facebook, for instance, are mm -hmm. going to um, simply making people put the headset on using their the Oculus mobile app to to push notifications and and do everything within within their power to. to to simply make you put the headset on. Yeah, that, that first step yeah. is, causes so much friction. Once really? you're in, you're in. But yeah. that first step of just putting the headset on, yeah. I mean, it's such a barrier. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so it, it, yeah. That, that's a big problem for these well, kinds of people. Who is it a barrier to? Because, you know, for someone like me, that's like a one second thing. I can put the headset on, I'll be in there in a second. But who, who is this a struggle for? Someone like me. Uh, I find myself not. <laughs> I'll just give my own example. Um, like if I'm sitting at home mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like playing something um, and I'm sitting and I'm probably next to the computer, hitting up like the launcher seems so much easier than standing up, uh, moving, the, moving yeah. the table and putting the thing on. Yeah, I see, um, I see. The amount of initial commitment, right? Think about it this way. Um, you have a certain amount of commitment to the process Yep. that on PC is quite linear, right? Mm -hmm. Every time you do a click, like, all right, I'll do it, a little bit of commitment. All right, I double click, a little bit more. Oh, all right, it's opening up, a little yeah. bit more. So you have this kind of linear line where with every little motion that you do, you're slightly more committed. I see. To, to playing the game. Yeah. With, with a quest, you have your initial commitment is like halfway through the commitment line of, of the PC. Yeah. Like the action that you need to, so it's, it's, it's hard to jumpstart that. Yeah, because you're not you're not in there to begin with. Yeah, you're in front of your PC most of the day. Yeah, I get it. Um, and again, for a lot of VR enthusiasts, it's it's not an issue. Yeah, uh, I would not consider myself a VR enthusiast, actually. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like uh, I'm not one of those people who spend hours in VR. I mean, I do, but it's because I'm developing. Yeah. Uh, but I don't. Uh, yeah, when I when I go back home. I spend a lot more time gaming on PC than on, on VR. Yeah, we're all PC gamers. Oh, it's, um, it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so uh, and it's not that I don't enjoy games on VR. It's just that either I come home and I'm a little tired and I don't feel mm. like standing up and moving around too much, mm -hmm. or it's just like a commitment thing. I see, know? I see. Um, yeah. yeah. The, only, the only thing I have to say about that uh, is that Let's say that um, for the past couple of months, uh, once our brand new prototype reached the point where, where is it? Yeah. yeah, playable at least internally inside the studio was the first time where I uh, felt like I have to take my quest with me uh, each and every day mm. back home. So I had the opportunity to play it, but it was honestly the first time it happened. I see, I yeah. see. Uh, I think one of I'll just one more point sure, sure. about that, you know, connecting it back to our previous point. Yeah. One of the issues for me is that most of the games that I play in VR are not captivating enough, are not games that I feel like going back into. Mm. Uh, there have been very few games that I felt like, all right, I want to go back. I want to make my score better. I want to see what happens. I want to, you know, I feel it just doesn't happen that much. And that that's, uh, you know, kind of a testament to how much we're in a tech demo place as opposed to how much we're in a gameplay place. Yeah. Yeah, we are like hardcore gamers. Yeah, we, we play genres such as I don't know, uh, uh, hardcore RPGs, strategy, tactical games. So it has to have this uh, level of sophistication to, to, mm -hmm. to captivate. Know, yeah, I see. I see. Uh, before we go on, guys, uh, do you, do you have uh, a lot of time? I know we schedule an hour, but is it okay if we keep going, or do you have uh, another meeting in a few minutes, or?
Yeah, our, our food is still being defrosted, I think. So, okay, yeah, perfect. Cool. <laughs> uh, good, because that brings me to my next question then. So uh, in your opinion, what changes or advancements would you like to see in the VR industry in the next five years? Or what, what advancements that do you think have to happen in the next five years for this thing to take off and become more mainstream? Hardware or software? Both, um, any, anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, form factor to begin with. Uh, we have to to have a, a much more uh, balanced uh, headsets that, that 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 we can just you know strap on and, and, and use for 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 much larger amounts of time. What? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, seriously, I think yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah. It's important. It's important. Um, I think that eye tracking. Is, is like super important uh, on the uh, uh, as a hardware aspect. Um, One of the things that eye tracking enables is for you to have high resolution rendering only when you where you're looking. Yeah, and and that really opens up a lot of like performance improvements for these devices. Yeah, yeah. Having having the headset uh, act like uh, maybe uh, more like a human eye can help with even with fatigue and. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. Issues uh, such as this, which are still very, uh, very present at the at the, at the time, at the, at the current point. Yeah. So, for in, or, in, or, in order for that to happen, they would need to uh, create a headset that has cameras above each of the eye and is tracking the eye. Uh, there's several uh, there's several ways to do it. Often, it's yeah. several cameras, usually okay. IR. Um, yeah, um, and I think that the mechanical front is also uh, quite challenging to have something that is uh, very consistent and very accurate all the mm. time. Yeah, I, I would say uh, hand tracking is a big thing. Uh, yes. Having yes. You can walk around with a pair of glasses that you put on as yeah. opposed to having to have like controllers and stuff. I think uh, Oculus are working on it. Uh, the current version is kind of good in terms of software, not so good in terms of hardware, probably will be better in the next iteration. And uh, for me, you know, it's, uh, we need better content. Uh, we need things that appeal to a not necessarily technically inclined uh, population. People who are like, you know, just a, a wider variety of people, people yeah. who are more used to lower friction um, uh, content, you know, higher quality content, yeah. uh, more story, more narrative. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what we're trying to do with our with our new game. Try to try to call all all of the, the, the hardcore PC and console games. Come, come on, guys. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the thing that we're trying to make, and that is also a testament to the thing that we think is missing, uh, or that we'd like to see more of, is a game where the mechanics are purely VR. But in terms of the complexity of the game, the story, the game loops, it wouldn't shame a console game. Okay. Uh, that's, that, exactly. that's the goal. Uh, exactly. Cool, cool. Yeah. That's actually a, a perfect segue to my next question. It feels like this is scripted, but I promise it isn't. Um, <laughs> so when do you think, one of the things that was uh, great about your story is you were surprised by the amount of sales that Racket and X got on the Oculus Quest. And I think uh, one thing you can attribute that to is VR is becoming more mainstream, especially with the Quest, because it's become a lot more affordable. When do you think that the number of VR gamers will match the number of console gamers in the world? And when do you think the number of VR gamers will surpass the number of console gamers in the world? Because like I said before, there are a lot of people who VR was their first console. So what's your opinion on that? Yeah, that's interesting because if you look at, at, at the mobile sector, it took like, I think, between five to seven years to catch up mm. and, and, then to, and then to suppress, but uh, to suppress, sorry. Uh, mm -hmm. But then again, uh, mobile devices um, is something that all of us are using uh, by default. So yeah, yeah, the, 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 there, is, there is a difference. Um, but then again, I don't know, maybe between, 10 to 15 years. See, I see. I imagine that, I, I don't know when uh, one will surpass, the other, when VR will surpass uh, consoles. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think there will always be room for consoles. Uh, it's much more social. It's much more easy to, to start up, etc. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think any of these big things are happening in the next five years. I think I five that. years from now is when it's going to start like uh, hitting yeah. off. I think there we're still missing some technologies, some core factors, yeah. Yeah. content. Yeah. I see. I see. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And then. For sure, and I'm uh, I'm glad to be on this journey with you guys. Can't wait for that game. Um, one of the big recent news in VR was Oculus's decision to require a Facebook account uh, for Oculus Quest. Uh, just the general takeaways from that. Right now, it's okay, but they did say in uh, two or three years, I believe, they yeah, will yeah. Uh, they will stop supporting Oculus accounts. So everyone will need a Facebook account. What do you guys think about that? What do you think it'll do to the industry? Do you think it'll put people off or what's your opinion there? It will definitely put people off. Um, I, for me personally, the more egregious issue here is that they promised explicitly that they wouldn't do it. Yeah. Mm. This was after Facebook already bought Oculus. They said, you are never going to, in a statement, you're never going to have to have a Facebook account. Mm. Um, that's the biggest problem for me. Um, look, we have a problem with big tech and data. It's yeah. not secluded to VR. It doesn't matter who would own Oculus. This would be a problem whenever it became mainstream enough. Um, and even though I'm not sure if I should say this, but I dislike <laughs> Facebook as much as the other person. Um, I think um, it's it's really unfair, you know, to disregard the simple fact that without Facebook, VR would not be where it is today. And actually, the only chance for VR to become something real in the next years is on on Facebook's shoulders. All right. So mm -hmm. there's a kind of dichotomy here that we have to acknowledge both sides of. I feel. Um, and again, the thing with the, the going back on their statement is my biggest problem. The actual problem with Facebook taking your data away and having more data when it comes to VR, that's a general problem. It has nothing to do with Oculus. You know, as we get, we give more and more data away anyway. Um, that, that's not the issue as far as I'm concerned. Sorry, could you repeat uh, what you said earlier? Because the mic just cut out. You said that uh, the only way where we can get anywhere with VR is if it's on Facebook's terms, did you say? No. No, <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, but, but I did say that right now, um, the only company, company that's actually uh, carrying the VR torch yeah. is Facebook. Yes. Um, and as a developer, I can tell you that what they are doing in terms of like the backend, the support for developers, mm -hmm. the store curation, the just like you know the marketing yeah. is just it's, uh, it's top tier. It's no amazing. other company except for someone the size of Facebook would be able to push it the way that they are. Mm -hmm. And even though I really, really don't want to have a Facebook account hooked up to my Oculus account. I would rather do that than have Facebook drop Oculus. Not that that's an option, but I, I would rather yeah. do that. For sure, for um, sure. That has to be stated, I feel. For, yeah, it definitely sounds fair. There's definitely takeaways at every, at every aspect, you know? Uh, yes, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to end off here, uh, in a 2017 article, the CEO of Rocketworks, Rocketworks was quoted saying, there is no money in VR game development. This was back in 2017. Do you think this is still true in 2020? And uh, if not, why? <laughs> in, in a word, as, as they stated before, the Oculus Quest was rather pivotal in, in terms of, of the business aspects of things. Uh, 2017 was, was a tough year, I can tell you that. As, <laughs> as, as a studio director. Yeah. We, all, we almost closed in 2017. Really? Mm. Yeah. And there were many, many other studios that, that, that did close uh, mm. during 2017, 2018. Uh, but, but then Oculus came along with the Quest and, uh, and I believe changed things um, again yeah. in a pivotal way. And, um, my hopes are simply to see one of the other big five uh, jumps jumps into the water, um, mm -hmm. maybe, 
uh, by the end of Q1 2021 and, uh, and, and change everything again. I mean, competition is, is exactly what we need right now. Exactly. Like, like, like another huge entity that can, that can pull this off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely agree with you guys there. Well, thank you very much for your time today. That's all the questions I had. We got through everything with a decent time. Uh, is there any last words you'd like to say to our viewers, our readers, or you know, the other game developers that might be watching this? Any, any last parting advice? Whenever someone asks me for last words, I am tempted to say I regret nothing. <laughs> I'm just going to yeah. take the fifth here. <laughs> well, cool. So uh, let's end there with uh, where can our viewers catch you at? you guys have Facebook, Instagram, or is it mostly your newsletter that you uh, put out um, information? We post on Twitter. Twitter, yeah. And we have our newsletter, which uh, is probably where we have the most interesting information as well. We're giving out a lot of like extra materials there. Uh, and uh, that's probably, the, and we don't spam either. Yes. So that's probably the best way to, to stay in touch. Yeah. Well, if you do spam, I would take VR spam any day. That's, it's not spam for me. <laughs> Uh, but for our readers there, that's onehamsa.com. So spell it out, O-N-E-H-A-M-S-A.com. All right. Thank you very much, Dave and Asaf. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you, man. Thank you, man.